Malcolm. If you're looking to unlock the secrets of the mind, to live a life that's free of care and anxiety, and to be the happiest you that you can be, then you're in the right place. This is Growing the Good, the Mindful Podcast. Hello and welcome to Growing the Good, the Mindful Podcast with me, your host, Neil West, and I'm joined again today by my good friend and co-host, Hayley Kearns. Hi Hayley, how are you doing today? I'm very well, thank you, Neil, and you? Oh, I'm brilliant, thank you. I can't smile wide enough. <laughs> um, right, are you ready for today's programme? I am. Okay, right, what do these things have in common, Hayley? <clears throat> Ronnie and Reggie Cray are arrested, Winston Churchill dies, Malcolm X came to Birmingham, the Beatles record yesterday. KFC opens its first UK restaurant in Preston, James Bond movie Thunderball is released, and the first Ford Cortina goes on sale. I assume they were all happening around the same time. They all happened in the same year. Do you want to take a punt? Oh gosh, no, go on, tell me. 1965. Yes, all those things happened in 1965. Okay. And 1965 happens to be the year that my magazine I'm holding here, Psychology oh and Successful goodness. Living, you'll see the cover on Facebook, I'll put the cover on Facebook so you can see it. So this is an issue from September 1965 of Psychology and Successful Living, Bygone Times, this is where I get oh, all my good tap from. Yeah, Bygone Times, show to they're not paying us, but... <laughs> Um, so this is yeah. So it's uh, it, it was the it was the nearest to mindfulness I could find from 1965. So I thought it might be interesting to see how things have changed. Yeah. Um, you'll know oh, the LP. Away. Ah, well, <laughs> yeah, um, so LP Hartley in the Go Between 1953 said the past is a foreign country. They do things differently there. So we're going to take a delve into 1965. Now, as a rule, I avoid reading things too much on the podcast to avoid. Um, copyright issues and things but I very much doubt anyone's going to come back from 1965 and trouble me on that front so I'm going to read bits from this magazine okay. and just I, I get to see Hayley's face you will get to see her <laughs> face but hopefully you'll get her reaction okay. so she's already reacted to the front cover which shows a, a young couple relaxing in the evening he's sat loosened his tie she's lighting his cigarette on the front <laughs> cover you know which is, is chuffing away out merrily i think just out of shot is a tumbler of brandy you know and she's 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 tending to all his needs um the title be happy without children um imagination makes millions and that green-eyed monster Right, are you ready for a delve into the psychology wait. of 1965? So we've had a look at the cover. Um, as we open the magazine, you'll have to excuse me if you can hear the pages flicking a little. Right, so it's, there's lots of adverts. It's pre-internet, so if yeah. you wanted to know stuff, you had to send off for it in these times. Um, and as soon as you open it, it's a big full-page advert, and it says, For the man who wants to succeed, oh. this book, Your Career, is full of interesting information, and it's free. Okay, because only men in 1965 yeah. had careers. So we're setting the tone early doors with this magazine for the man who wants to succeed. Okay, so sorry ladies, but uh, success is not for you. Okay, um, there is another page of adverts shortly afterwards. Um, and one of the ones that caught my eye was Psycho Yoga. Oh. In a logical and precise manner, this book lays before the reader with admirable and systemic clarity a fascinating thesis, which is an amalgam of yoga, self-hypnosis, and self-hypnosis and self-analysis. Now, you this might sound familiar. 
Um, in elaborating his system of mind control, the author refers to the powers of suggestion in producing self-improvement and acknowledges his debt to yoga, which he's been at pains to adapt from the Eastern methods to the requirements of the average Westerner. Now, you tell me that's not mindfulness, isn't it? You know, you know meditation, yoga, self-control, self developmental thinking. Yeah. So, um, so this isn't mindfulness anymore. It's psycho-yoga. Psycho-yoga. <laughs> like okay. Now, I'm going to go to page 11 now. Okay. There's so much. I could have. We could have done a whole series <laughs> just on this magazine alone. Um, that's the article, Childless But Happy. With that. The Secret Method for the Mastery of Life. I might come back to this one. Um, there's, a, there's a whole article about the ancient wisdom of the Rosicrucians. Oh. And the Rosicrucians are quite interesting if you look them up. But we'll come back to that. That might be a podcast from yeah. there. But on page 11, it's all about how imagination is the future. You know, businesses are paying a lot for imaginative people. And in 1965, they invented brainstorming. To the Americans, thought clouds as they call now. Can't call it brainstorming anymore. It's one of those things you can't say. Mm. But uh, this is historical. In the past, they did things differently. To the Americans, must go credit for first trying to introduce flashes of inspiration at will by means of a new technique known as brainstorming. This technique is today used in all major enterprises and in the Pentagon. The procedure is simple: a number of individuals assemble to discuss a given subject. Instead of approaching it from a logical, analytical angle, they jot down every idea that comes into their heads, no matter how fantastic or improbable it may appear. In other words, the imagination is given free reign. The results are often surprising, and the chances of solving a problem are 100% better. Okay, so mm. they, before 1965, this idea did not exist. Oh, no, no, no. There you go. Okay, um, so that was interesting. And I'm going to go to page 21 now because I'm going to introduce you to the couple on the cover of the oh. magazine. Okay. There's actually a whole article about how ghosts are real. That's quite interesting. Um, but again, might save that for another day. Ghosts and mindfulness. <laughs> but this is an article that says you can fight and still be happy. Okay. Right. So this is, um, we've got a couple now, Ruth and George. They're newlyweds and we get a range of scenarios and then we're invited to decide who, if anyone, is at fault in these scenarios. Okay. So are you ready? So this is 1965. Quarrel number one, where's my, where's my breakfast? This one happens in the first month or so of marriage. George Harris, for instance, had lived with his parents before his marriage. His mother always had his breakfast ready on time. He was used to showering, shaving, dressing at leisure, sitting down to bacon and eggs and reading the paper over his morning tea until it was time to leave. Lucky George. Lucky George, yeah. George loved the boardings. He always jumped out of bed feeling great. He was a big eater and he enjoyed a good breakfast. Unhurried and well fed, he used to leave his parents' house feeling on top of the world. Very good. George's new wife Ruth had always been an unwilling riser. Her mother used to call her 15 minutes before it was time to get up, then five minutes before. She used to get out of bed reluctantly and hazily tried to remember what day of the week it was. <laughs> there had to be I trouble. Somebody in my house like that. <laughs> <laughs> there had to be trouble when these two got married, and it erupted the very first morning after the honeymoon. Obviously, it didn't go well. Oh, then, no. did it? <clears throat> George jumped. There's an article in here about that as well, but we'll not go there. George jumped out of bed as usual as soon as the alarm rang and made for the shower. He shaved and sang and grew hungry every day. <laughs> Oh dear. Then he returned to the bedroom to find Ruth fast asleep. Hey, he cried, where's my breakfast? 
yawning wisely, began to dress. But at the rate she was going, George saw there'd never be time for his usual big breakfast. Oh my goodness. He, deba- he debated cooking it himself. But he didn't know how to go about it, because baking the eggs is complex, isn't it? <laughs> and he wasn't going to set a precedent anyway. No judgment. So he stuck his head through the bedroom door and said he was going. And Ruth, who also went to work, would have to catch the bus. He didn't kiss her and she wept. <laughs> he had breakfast in a restaurant. He had to hurry and the bacon wasn't done the way he liked it. He arrived at his desk totally despondent. Ruth too was angry and miserable. What right, she asked herself, did George have to stalk out like a spoiled boy because she'd overslept? So, <clears throat> if you were the judge in the court of law, on whom would you place the blame? On Ruth for failing to get up? Or on George for not pitching in to meet the crisis? <laughs> it was a big crisis. Oh, or would you be beating him with the alarm clock for being a misogynist oik? <laughs> 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 I would be telling him to go move back to his mum and dad. Yeah, get back to your mum and dad's yeah. then if you do. Oh, okay. oh dear. <sighs> well, perhaps this shows well, how this much distance there is between the past. I know, and the, this is in the days where, you know, Habiting before marriage. Oh, no, no, but there's, that's yeah. covered in the oh, magazine as well. Oh. There's areas of the magazine that are a little too dark to go into <laughs> on our family friendly yeah. podcast. Um, but that, I don't know. What do you so, think who did that? they decide who's to blame? Well, good question. Um, the, the kind of premise of the magazine is that um, it's, it's nobody's fault. Right. They're just different people. She's a night owl and he's a morning person. Um, so, they, they can't help it. They were born that way. Uh, their yeah. different metabolic habits have caused them trouble at the beginning and always will. Mm. Well, I think possibly George's parents have some kind of. George's parents, <laughs> have, they've spoiled him. Yeah, George's parents were at fault for spoiling him. Would you like to hear another one? Yes, yeah, I okay. definitely would. I love this. <clears throat> this one happened on George's birthday. He and Ruth had decided on a nice, quiet evening at home. This, I think, is what's depicted on the cover of the magazine. Ruth planned his favourite dinner. Mm, a casserole of macaroni, fine mince and cheese with a sherry while she was dishing up. Lovely. Lovely, I know. Mm. Macaroni and mince. George arrived at 8 o'clock. Ruth kissed him and gave him his present, a box of ties made of the finest silk. Ruth gave him his sherry, announcing that dinner would be a while, because she'd just got home. She had, she said, stayed shopping longer than she'd intended. George sipped the sherry. He felt very hungry. After a while, he went to the kitchen and suggested they have something quick out of a can. Not on your life, said Ruth. I promised you that casserole. You're going to get it. It won't take long. But it did. While they were having dessert, Ruth's mother rang to wish George a happy birthday. So he has eaten it now. Oh, right. He's not starving. He's not starving. I'm worried. Yeah, no, no, he's he's been wasting away. (laughs) Ruth took over the telephone and began to chat. George sat glumly watching a TV programme. When, after ten minutes, Ruth didn't appear, he snatched up his hat and walked out. Right? At breakfast the next morning, Ruth said, that was a fine thing to do, to walk out on your birthday. I can't see that it mattered. You were spending the whole night on the telephone. Yeah, to your mother. <laughs> <laughs> now, this, this gets me, right? All he said was, shall we open a tin of soup, didn't he? Yeah. He didn't suggest anything else. All you think of, you men, Ruth snapped, is your stomachs and sex. <laughs> you always wanted a tin of soup. 
beans on toast. He wasn't being like making unreasonable demands, was he? Unless it's a euphemism, like so they can't it's my birthday. <laughs> well maybe that's the telephone call, maybe that's what he wanted for his desserts. And, and she had she dared to Things haven't changed that much. Have <laughs> <laughs> right, we're off to fancy it to the suit, probably birthday. <laughs> Who was right? If you say Ruth, you're a feminist. Oh, uh, feminist. <laughs> if you say George, you're militantly pro male. Oh. If you say neither, you're beginning to get the message. And if you say both, you've got it. Oh. Yeah, she's just as much at fault for going out shopping till late and buying his birthday well, presents and cooking his birthday tea and talking to his mother. Of course she's at fault. Being human, a man and wife are going to argue from time to time. The important thing is, if they're to stay happily married, it's not so much what they quarrel about as the way they quarrel. Hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, mindfulness, we're not judgmental. We try and see things from different points of view and so on. You know, mm-hmm. And as mindful teachers, we would look at any situation and say, well, let's, let's talk about how each person was feeling. But no, George, you're a pig. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, George's not there's, coming out of this article very no, well, is he? Yeah, there's, there's Although no, I do think she was a little bit harsh. A bit harsh, all you think about is your stomachers. Stop right over to the soup, you know. Right, so anyway, we're going to move on. Oh. I'd like we could stay with. with, with, with uh, Ruth and George for, for longer, I'm sure, but I'm going to move on because there's other things we need okay. to discuss. So I'm going to take you now to, um, let's have a think, let's go to page 24 because it's on the next page now, okay. This is about worry, the unnecessary burden. Oh. Okay, so that, I mean, there's, there are, this is, um, there's stuff in here that's quite good and, and, and still quite, uh, quite competent. Um, right, so uh, no matter who we may be, we all have occasion to worry about something at times, but just how grandiose are these worries? When we worry, we have a reason. Any kind of trouble has a cause. This is the basic element, and because we have a reason, we can usually find a solution. So we can go into mm-hmm. mindfulness and meditation a little bit time. One or more of our usual worries is financial trouble. We live in a very materialistic and mercenary world. Every day we're influenced and conditioned by advertising on radio, television, in newspapers, on poster hoardings, transport vans, on buses, bus tickets, cinema tickets, in theatres and on cinema screens. If we're, take to notice, if we're to take notice of all these things today, we have to realise we're living in a fast-moving world. It's the dumb thing to live on credit, mortgage a home and acquire materialistic things that adds one's prestige and acts as status symbols. This new vital age is for the successful young man and woman with get-away and get-ahead ideas and, I- and ideals. Um, a materialistic profusion and glitter and may look very well if good in a large department store or glossy magazine, but more important still, just how many of us can really afford it. Most people can't afford it. And if we can't afford it, then we have to steer clear or be prepared to face the consequences of sudden rash decisions. It's the easiest thing in the world to go into a shop and put down payments or deposits on an expensive article, but it's a far more difficult matter to straighten out the account afterwards. If we do not have the financial resources to enable us to purchase goods that we know we cannot really afford, then we should resist the temptation to buy them. Mm, I think that's very good advice for today. Well, I was reading something almost identical in the Matt Haig, you know, Notes Mm. of a Nervous Planet. Yes, yes. And he was saying about 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 the pressure that we're put under to, and and there's these now where we have no buy days and no shop days and things, no spend days, isn't it? Yeah. 
So, you know, it's, some of it is a bit outlandish to our eyes, mm -hmm. but some of it, you know, it's it makes relevant. sense, still relevant. Yeah. yeah, people haven't changed that And much. it's interesting that you think, like, you think that kind of consumer society where, you know, nobody actually owns anything is a modern day issue and problem, but clearly it, it, was, it was still a problem in the, yeah. in the 1960s. So perhaps that was the kind of beginning of easy credits, Possibly. you know, those kind of credit cards, bank accounts, you know, people were starting to become aware of that as an opportunity. Yeah, and to have those things that they couldn't afford, but certainly you know, when I was growing up, my parents, it was very much, Lived within you, means. You, you, saved you, you saved your money if you wanted something. Right, I am. Okay. I'm going to take you a bit darker now. Okay. Okay. This is the article about jealousy, and okay. it's specifically about jealousy in children. Oh. Right. Now, this is about parents and how parents respond to their children, and as I say, it it reflects another time. <laughs> so, you ready? Oh, okay. So, what do you think of this? Another sort of jealousy is that of a child towards one or both parents. I'm going to marry you when I grow up, mummy, is a normal thing for a small boy to say. Every boy goes through this Oedipal phase, when he would like to take the place of his father. Every girl has a similar Electra phase, when she imagines taking the place of her mother. With a happy upbringing, the child grows out of this phase with no bad effects. A son may marry a girl who resembles his mother, and a daughter is likely to fall in love with a man similar in some way to her father. But if the parents were normal, this is a good thing. If something goes wrong, however, the phase may become a fixation, and the child never emerges from it. When a boy is spoiled or overprotected by his mother and feels neglected by his father, he may become resentful and jealous towards his father as well as imitating his mother too much. Perhaps the word jealousy in childhood. The worst jealousy in childhood is the jealousy of a parent toward a child. A father refused to let his daughter have boyfriends. When she brought one home, he gave her a beating. Deep down, he was sexually interested in her himself. Oh, oh, oh. The, the girl was subconsciously aware of this, and it disturbed her. She suffered from blushing. I said it was dark, didn't I? Blushing? <laughs> Another man constantly belittled his small son. He said, you're no good. You'll never be a man. You're too soft. The inferiority feeling this produced in the child were a handicap to him for 20 years. The father was jealous because he believed his wife gave more attention to the child than she did to her husband. The importance of to children of harmony between their parents cannot be stressed too much. Bang on, you were telling us they could argue with the previous article. Um, parents sometimes imagine this need not affect the children, but the deprived partner often becomes jealous of one or more of the children or too possessive. Mm, that's a bit dark, isn't it? Just a little bit. <laughs> I thought I'd share that with you. Yeah, um, thanks for that one. So, there you go. So, moving on. Moving on. on. <laughs> I've saved something nice to end ah. with. Okay, so this is where you can bathe your mind in a garden. Ah, so, if you think about the yeah. forest bathing forest that we bathing, yeah. promote now, um, yeah. it was around in the 1960s. So, bathe your mind in a garden. When we grow weary of ourselves and all the others, who are ourselves under other names, we can wash our minds in the air that is filled with the scent of flowers and the song of the birds. The washing of the mind is far more necessary than the washing of the skin. One bath a day suffices for the body, but every healthy mind needs at least two, one early in the morning and the other last thing at night. A garden is the best bathtub for the mind. 
<laughs> there is a curative and restorative magic in its spirit. I confess I like to be alone in my mind as well as in my body bath. If there are other, I must admit, I like to be alone in my body bath as well. <laughs> if there are other human beings in the bath, it's not <laughs> possible to take all the clothes off your mind and let it bathe, start baking in the healing air, untroubled <laughs> by the promiscuity of life. The grace of God is that it helps to empty yourself of yourself and to fill yourself with the secret peace of the earth and the sky until you brim over with the delight of ceasing to be anything but an aware eye and ear and nose and skin. Beyond the garden wall is the world with its spites and hates, its malice and meanness, its frayed nerves and poisoned hearts. We are a part of it all, but for a time we fled from it to lose ourselves in a trance of quietism. Discords and disharmonies can be resolved in a green pleasance, where there's nothing more serious than a drowsy bee with honey thighs, or more solemn than a swallow with wings of rapture sweeping in curves of ecstasy. As we forget all the rubbish that can be well forgotten, we glide into a little paradise of our own, with no fears, no wishes, and no wants. Linger in your garden, and you will be welcomed by the peace that surrounds the lupins and delphiniums, the rose and the lavender. So apart from the odd bits about not bathing alone. Well, I was thinking you were going into moon bathing then. Uh, moon bathing. You know, no. well, like That's your programme, you can do moon bathing. <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, so, but yeah. yeah. Have you enjoyed our I short have sojourn very much. into 1965 and, and what was mindfulness back in the day? Yeah. Where the past really was another country mm. and they definitely did things differently. <laughs> so. And if people wish to tell you, if you're in 1965 and you've accessed it internet and you want to share with us your response, uh, how can yeah. people contact you us? You can find us on Facebook, where we are One Together CIC. You can email us at onetogethercic@gmail.com, or you can contact us through our website, which is onetogethercic.co.uk. Mm. So for now, whether you're bathing alone or with company, <laughs> this is Growing the Good, the, the Mindful Cow Podcast, and we'll see you next, next time. time. <laughs> this is Growing the Good, the Mindful Podcast.